Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, lead pastor Eric Parks has part four of the Life After series with a message titled, Everything We Need. Let me ask you a question. Why'd you come to church today? You know, look, 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 look somebody on the left or right, ask them the question, why'd you come to church today? Just ask them. I'm curious to know. Mm-hmm. Charmant came to see all your beautiful faces. You know, it's interesting. My guess is this. In a room this size, there are as many answers to that question as there are people in this room. The reason why you showed up today might be because um, it's what you do, part of like your rhythm. Might be because you woke up this morning and you just felt like, man, I need a word of encouragement. You might have woken up this morning and felt a desperate need to be in a space with some other people. Maybe you woke up and you were hungry and wanted some donuts. I don't know. (laughs) But here's what I do know. Is that spaces like this one, Forest City Church, matter more today than they've ever mattered. They do. They do. And the reason why they matter is because we've set out, you see it on the, on the walls that we have out in the mall, to build a church for anyone and everyone. A place where if you are never walked through the church before, no matter what your background is or where you come from, like this is a safe space. And in this world, there are a lot of spaces that are not safe. You know, it's sad to me that Sunday after Sunday, something happens that I have to get in the pulpit and address senseless violence and acts of racism. But this is real personal, like in so many ways, what happened in Buffalo yesterday, the 10 people that were murdered. That's because like that tops, that space, that those 10 people were killed is a space that Carrington knows real, real well in Buffalo. He went to that spot. Knows people who lost family in that spot. And you see these things, and don't you think, like, what in the world is happening? I feel like things are coming undone. Like, you, you feel hopeless because the truth is tomorrow we're going to go about our business. We'll just go back to normal. And, and what we've begun to go is, well, oh, well, that, gosh, another shooting, another killing, more people dying. And the truth is we have people dying all around the world, dying all the time, just dying. And we've become like, I don't know, what am I supposed to do about it? What am I supposed to do about it? And it's not enough for us to just come to church and say, I don't know. See, the reason why you're here, let me tell you why you're here, is because we have to build a community that looks different than the rest of the world that we're seeing come undone. We have to build a space together, a safe space for anybody who's on the outside of the fringes, a space that's predicated on everything Jesus told us to do. And the truth is, it's so great because it's like Jesus knew that his followers are going to be like, you know, a little bit slow like me. 
And he's like, let me break it down for you real simple. I'm going to break it down for you real simple. It's not all the stuff you know and all the way, all those sort of verses you might be able to quote. I'm going to break it down real simple. And in that last meal, when he sat with his disciples, he said, here's how they're going to know you're a people of mine, how your community is one of mine, is by how well you love each other. So when you hear us talk about how we want to build this space, well, we just love people. It's not because we're sort of like soft and just friendly. The truth is, I believe everything Jesus said and his last commandment to us is love each other well. That's how everybody's going to know. That's what he said we do. So, so listen, what happened in Buffalo, this is, I don't even know what to say. I'm going to tell you we're going to pray for a minute. We're going to pray for the people who've lost loved ones who were suffering unimaginable hurt. And then we're going to get to work as a community. We have to build a space that can be replicated in other communities, places that look like our cities, where black and brown and white, we come together and love each other. And we look at these things that people are proclaiming and we go, that's not true. That's not true in this space. And this space is different. That's what we're up to. Let me pray. Lord, give us courage to build a, a space that looks like Acts chapter 13. Seventh floor. Love at the center of it. Jesus, because you first loved us. Help us have the courage to stand up to evil not just in our words, but in the spaces we create, the commitments that we make. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters who this day are mourning a, a loss that is unimaginable, mourning a hurt that is so deep. We pray for Buffalo that you would heal that community, that you would be with friends and family who've lost someone, that they won't see this side of heaven. But God, will you give us the courage because of sinister acts like this to build spaces that defy evil? In your name, Jesus, we pray. And everyone who agreed said, amen, amen. amen. Listen, I've been talking about this since Easter, this idea of how do we live resurrection, right? How do we live and build communities that really come out of the grave? Because what you're seeing in Buffalo, what we see in the Ukraine, what we see all over the world and places in India and sub-Saharan Africa where human beings slaughter each other, what we see is the byproduct of sin and it's people who live in graves, right? And we're saying that we, Jesus gives us this power to live on the other side different. He gives us this power, but... But how do we live in that? What is it that we're to do with this? So if you haven't listened to the last few weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. But I want to talk this week about a specific phrase that I think is absolutely critical if we're going to understand how to live outside the grave. You've got to know this. And it is this phrase. We said it actually in this song. Most of these songs are a pretty good setup for this message. But this idea, this idea that God will give you everything you need. Everything you need. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be preaching 
I'm going to be preaching today out of Ruth. And Ruth is a, is a great book of the Bible for me because, honestly, Ruth's interesting. Four chapters, nothing heroic happens, really. There is no parting of the Red Seas. There's no fire that comes down from heaven. Nobody saves anybody from a genocide. Actually, it's, it looks like my life. Boring, average. Look, look at me. I'm just like a bald-headed dude, just average dude, right? I'm just an average dude. Ruth is like a story for us average folks. It just seems average. Because when you see it on the surface, it just seems like life. But that's what I think is so brilliant about Ruth is it's life. Now, here's the setup on the story that you have to know. In Ruth chapter 1, it says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. What the Bible's trying to help us understand is it was really tough times. Now, we don't know anything about tough times these days, do we? Um, but they knew some tough times. I'm being a bit facetious because I went and filled up my car the other day and I went, oh my gosh, that's a pair of sneakers. I could have got a pair of sneakers for that. I mean, doesn't it feel like every time I open up the news, it feels like we're living in the day of judges. Like everything seems to be coming undone. Everywhere you look, economies coming undone. Countries are coming undone. Like all this stuff coming undone seems like more bad news, more bad news, more bad news. This is Ruth. This is what's happening. Bad, bad news. Israel was worshiping other gods. Terrible time. And in that terrible time, this is a story of four people, a family, a mom and dad and two sons who decide to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab to try to find a better way, right? They're going to go to another space to try to find a better way because their way, they're struggling. They're a struggling family. And so the Bible tells us that this family of four they move, but along the way, they're struck by tragedy as well. The dad dies, the head of the family. It leaves Naomi, the mom, and her two sons. Her two sons soon marry, and it seems like things might pick up. But soon after the marriage, the Bible tells us that then the two sons die. And what was really bad times turns into, for Naomi, awful times. You see, this is a patriarchal society, and a woman without a husband and without her sons is not good. In fact, she knows the writing is now on the wall for her. She will be destitute. This will be her life. Begging, street corners, there is no outcome that she can see that's going to turn out positive. And she has two now um, in-laws, right? her daughter-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, who she feels responsible to. And so in, in what was Naomi trying to be uh, gracious to these two new family members, she says to Orpah and Ruth, listen, you staying with me now that all the men are dead, this is a bad idea. You need to go make your own way. You stay with me, it's destitution. You have to go and make your way. And, and there's a famous verse that comes out of this conversation, one that if you've been around the church for any length of time, you might know, but it is Ruth. She responds back to her now mother-in-law when she says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people, they're going to be my people. And your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be married. See, buried. This is an important part of the story. This is what I like to call Ruth's brave heart moment, right? 
See, every once in a while in our lives, we're given an opportunity to do the right thing. Every now and again, as human beings in your life, you're going to have moments where you're called to do the right thing. It may come at work. It may come in a relationship. I'm not sure, but every now and again, we get the opportunity to do the right thing. And this is Ruth's do the right thing moment where she could leave and be justified in leaving, but she decides to stay. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. I was thinking about why it is in these moments. So often uh, uh, I hear people say, I did the right thing and, and God didn't show up. He didn't give me everything I need. Or, or if they don't say it, have you ever been in a spot where you felt like you did what you were supposed to do and the outcome wasn't what you expected it to be? It's so often that we as Christians will do the right thing and it doesn't turn out the way we hoped it would and we have this idea that, well, maybe God didn't see it. He's not acknowledging it. Or, or, or it isn't true what Eric says. God doesn't give me everything I need. And, and I was thinking about how do I help us understand this a little bit. And Archimedes has this um, idea in mathematics, and it's very, very simple. It is that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. The problem is we apply this to our faith most often. We sort of assume if point A, I do the right thing like Ruth, then the next thing should be the payoff, Right? Whatever happens next, I should get rewarded. It should all work out. I did the right thing. But here's the problem. Like, if you've been around for life for very long, what I'm learning about the distance between my right decisions and the payoff, if it were, looks more like this. Anybody else? You ever been in this where you're on this journey? You're like, wait, 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 God. I did the right thing. Not only is it not the next thing, I'm like 20 steps away from that thing. I still feel like I'm just wandering around. I don't know when God's going to show up. And I got to thinking about the phrase, everything you need. And I wondered if the problem with me is, is that um, why I miss it is because I've, I've um, misconstrued the phrase, everything I need, with the phrase, everything I want. Hmm? Because sometimes what I need and what I want are two very different things. Look, I raise, I raise boys. I have a daughter. She's perfect. But I have two boys. Amen. And I can tell you in, in, in life, one of the things that I've learned as a parent is what they want and what they need might be two very different things. Because some days what those boys need looks a lot like my shoe in their rear end. <laughs> I needed that too, but if you ask me when that shoe came, did I want it? What was my answer? No, I don't need this. I don't need this. See, I think so often we have an idea of what I want is exactly what I need, and that isn't true at all. That's why these straight lines and zigzags get us so messed up when it comes to doing the right thing. It disjoints us from our purpose. It disintegrates some of who we're supposed to be. 
Because we start to believe that maybe if what I get isn't what I want, maybe God will never give me what I need. You see, Ruth sat in that tension. How long? We're not sure. But we know this, that she does the right thing. And what should be in that straight line ideology from right decision to all God's blessing should be quite simple. It isn't that simple. And we find Ruth in chapter 2, worse getting worse. It says, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elmelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. Now, let me tell you what this gleaning is, because if you miss this, you miss something really important. Now, remember, she makes this right decision. God's blessing should come next. But where she finds herself, honestly, is worse than destitution. See, gleaning is a concept that actually, up until the 19th century, was still on the books, certain laws in England. And gleaning was just this idea that was established in law that allowed for the most destitute to go to any farm field that had been harvested and to pick up all of the scraps. That's all gleaning is. It was a way that societies would care for the most, uh, the least of, those that are the least fortunate. It was gleaning. So you see, what was really happening for Ruth was real bad. It had gotten so bad for her that the only option was to glean a field. The equivalent of what? Standing on a street corner. Begging for money. This is gleaning. Now, if you believe in the straight line ideology of God's blessing and providence, then you're pretty ticked off when you get to gleaning, aren't you? You're pretty like, now wait a minute. Is this what I get for serving God? I serve him, I do the right thing, and now I'm picking up scraps in a field? Is that it? Look, I know some of you know what I'm talking about. Now, you're not gleaning, but some of you have lived your life where you feel like you've done the right thing. You've lived the right way, and you look at the life you're living right now, and it feels like gleaning. You're like, this is it. I'm just picking up scraps. This is how God takes care of his, huh? Well, Eric, doesn't sound like God looks after us. Doesn't give me what I need. But Ruth, this is what I love about Ruth. I don't know how she was able to get in that space. Ruth just somehow gets in the space and understands. Maybe it's just her work ethic. I don't know. She decides, well, if this is the field that God gave me, I'm just going to work this field. And she works it. She gets in that field and crushes it. In fact, she's such a hustler gleaning that this is what the Bible tells us. It says in verse 4, while she was there, Ruth, Boaz, who owns the field, arrives from Bethlehem, and he greets his harvesters. He said, Lord, be with you. Then Boaz asks the foreman, right? He asks one of the dudes looking out the, uh, over the field. He says, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? 
Foreman says this. He says, well, she's this young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for the few minutes resting in shelter. In other words, she was crushing it so much, so much, that the guy who owns the place and works with people all the time cleaning fields notices her. She took this less than and just said, I don't know. This must be where God had me. So I'm just going to crush. She just crushed. She just did it. Boaz sees her. Then Boaz, the Bible tells us, goes over to Ruth. He's so impressed with this girl. He goes over to her and he says, listen, my daughter, you listen. He's basically saying, I like your style. I like the way you hustle. You're going to stay right here with us because he's smart. He sees somebody who can get it done. He says, he says, you're going to stay with us. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young woman working in this field. See which part of the field they're harvesting, and then you go follow them. So he's giving her some pointers, right? He's giving her some pointers on how to do this even better. He said, I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you're thirsty, you help yourself to the water. And then he goes on to say, and, and, and. I also know about everything that you've done for your mother-in-law the right decisions that you made, the tussle. He goes, I know, I know. And see, this is the point in the story when we go, okay, so here comes the blessing, right? Here it comes. This dude owns the field. What comes next? This is the blessing. Now listen, listen. My dad pointed this out because my dad believes that the only Holy Scriptures is the King James Scriptures. And he was reading the King James and he said, have you ever noticed this verse? And he read it to me one day and something clicked. Listen to the King James, Ruth 2, 16. This is the moment of blessing. This is a big deal. Here's what he says. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose. Now, hold on. You do the right thing. You don't complain. You stand by your mother-in-law. You go to a field and crush and it's time for you to get your blessing. Let me tell you what most of us want. When the blessing comes, we're not looking for handfuls of blessing. We're looking for dump trucks. Anybody? I want them to beep, beep the dump truck of the blessing back on all the decisions I made. Dump it on me. It's my turn. Let's go. Make it rain, right? I'm sure Ruth is going, make it rain. And what happens is a handful that's everything I need? I'm not looking for a handful. I didn't do the right thing for a handful. In fact, we live in this culture where it's like more is better. More likes and more money and more house and more things. More is better. And God seems throughout Scripture and throughout your life, if you're honest, not to work necessarily in the currency of more. He works in what we call provisional blessing. Just enough for today. And when that comes at odds with what we want, I'm telling you, that's when we go, wait, wait a minute, that's not what I want. I want more. I want to swim around in $1 bills, right? I want to worry about my bills. I don't, Eric, I need more. But see, our purpose is exposed in small handfuls. And God's consistently doing this. Like, we shouldn't be surprised. 
This is, this is what we call manna. In Exodus, when you wake up in the morning, you have just enough for today, and anything that you keep, he makes rotten so that you can't have it for tomorrow. You're like, well, that's me. And no, 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 it's not mean at all, because here's the reality. How much do you really need to believe that you're in the center of God's will? See, that's your question. Is there a number? Is there a line? Because my experience is this. More does not make me feel more in the center of his will. Let, let me give you an example. When I was, when I was um, first starting all this stuff, I was interning at a church. And I took a job at that church for two years for $50 a week. And I don't care what year it is. $50 a week ain't much. So I'm making $50 a week, and then I get married. Then, on top of that, seven months after I get married, we get pregnant. Evidently, didn't understand how it all worked. I don't have insurance. I'm making 50 bucks a week. The math doesn't work very well because it costs a lot to have a kid. So I'm doing the math in my head, and I remember the first meeting I had with the OBGYN, and, and Chrissy has her... Uh, time with the fella, and then she leaves, and I go back in. I go, here's the deal, bro. I don't have any money, and I mean $50 a week. That's it, but here's the deal. I will pay you back every single penny. It's going to take me 25 years, but I will pay you back every single penny. I sweated that whole thing for nine months, thinking, going, God, how are you going to take care of me? How are you going to take care of me? And you know what happened in those nine months? There were multiple times along the way that I couldn't pay my bills. Christy and I couldn't pay our bills. We would go shopping at Judy's house, literally go to her house and open up their cupboards and shop from their cupboards because we were so broke. We shopped from, you know, Judy is uh, my mother-in-law. Um, we'd go to, to their house and shop out of their cupboards and God would show up along the way, a $300 check. Someone give me a blessing um, of $200 in cash. I would receive these things. I'd be so grateful. But I kept stressing about, God, what am I going to do about, what am I going to do about, God, I need some money. How am I going to pay the bill? When it comes in, what am I going to do? They're going to throw me in jail. I don't even know how this stuff works. They're going to throw me in jail. What am I going to do? God, what am I going to do? My credit's going to be ruined. I'll never have a car. I'll never have a house. I'm just going to live on the street, me and this baby, Right? That's how we think. We, can, we can't see his little blessings, the manna along the way, because there's something big down the road, and we're like, God, I just want you to do, what are you going to do? What are we going to do? And it's so fascinating how God works, because it's like, well, I don't know why he doesn't just, I don't know, get frustrated with me, and, you know, uh, and he probably does, but baby's born, daily, beautiful, perfect, Chrissy's a champ. <laughs> she would only stay one night in the hospital because she's like, I'm not staying more than one night because it's going to cost me another $5,000, right? <laughs> we, um, we go home and I get the first bill and there's that giant number across the top. And across the giant number is a pin mark and then a zero at the bottom and he zeroed it out. And I, I cried like a baby. But I got to thinking about everything I need and it's like how many along the way did I have to have the $10,000 zero wasn't the 400 and the 200 
and the 50 and all the things he does along the way, proof enough, proof enough. Wasn't it proof enough for us? It's, it's this idea that maybe sometimes what I need isn't what I want, but what I need is exactly what I need. And, and maybe this provisional sort of way in which God works is trying to teach me how to walk with him. Maybe he's trying to teach me how to be with him. I mean, you think about, like, you ever watched a bird in a nest? You ever watched a bird in a nest? You ever watch a bird that's fully dependent on its mom for its food every single day? You ever know what, you ever see what a bird, little birdie does? Little birdie's not looking around its nest going, man, this place is a dump. No, wish I had a nicer place than this. Man, I don't like my sneakers. I don't like my clothes. Birds don't look around. Where's the bird? Where's that one bird look? It's always looking to the sky, looking for what? It's provisional blessing. It's just waiting, waiting, looking around. Oh, there's mom. Oh, there she, oh, there she is. What's she doing? I wonder what she's doing. I wonder what's going on. Man, I hope she brings me a worm. Here comes the worm. You know what happens is when you're dependent, you're always looking at God. Not at all the stuff around me. I'm just watching him going, yeah, I know, but you're going to show up. You always do. You always bring me everything I need. You're going to show up. And I'm not worried about all the things around me. Maybe this is what God's trying to teach us. This provisional blessing is about helping us understand that everything I need isn't everything that I want, but everything that I want may not be at all what I need. You know, band, you can come out. It's interesting because Ruth's story, four chapters, and, and, and God does show up in some amazing ways, right? Boaz, through a series of events, does redeem Ruth, and he marries her, and they have a family. And here's what's interesting. When, when Ruth is done with her life and breathes her last breath, she may be tempted to believe that the whole journey she was on was just about her getting married and that was it. In fact, when she was past, she wouldn't have known that God was actually using her faithfulness, her ability to walk step by step with him to do something bigger than her small life and tiny little plans could have ever equated to. And if you miss this in the last bit, you miss the whole point, the bigger point of provisional blessing. That God is at work in your life in ways you cannot see. In ways on this side of heaven you may not know because the genealogy says this in Ruth 4 verse 18 that Perez was the father of Hezron and Hezron was the father of Ram. And oftentimes when you see this, you're like, who cares? But if you read through verse 22, it says, Obed was the father of Jesse Jesse was the father of David, and it was from the line of David that Jesus came from. See? The story points to Jesus. And I dare say this. Of course, God would have done whatever it is that he's going to do. But this one girl who decides to do the right thing and trust God through the zig and zag and learn how to live through provisional blessing got to be a part of a great story, the greatest story the world's ever known. And she never knew it on this side of heaven. She had no idea. She just passed. But her story, we're not here. We're not here, folks, if it's not for 
Ruth and her ability to live inside of God's provisional blessing. See, this is what makes this story so important. The truth is, all of this for you, you get to decide. You get to decide. I can't decide for you. Whether you surrender, surrender to God's plans in your life and trust his provisional blessing to bring you everything you need, or you'll take back control of your life and go, but that's not what I want. I mean, that's up to you, but this is what I know. That if you model your life on surrender, one, you'll be modeled after a kingdom built on surrender, right? I mean, what other kingdom, what other kingdom rules the earth through surrender? What other kingdom but ours? Ours is the only one. Most of the time when you surrender as a kingdom, your kingdom is over. But when Jesus chose to do what he did and put his glory on hold for our forgiveness and surrender what was rightfully his for you and me, see, when he did that to build a relationship between us and God, no way we could have done it on our own. He surrendered what ultimately was his right for you and me. This is, this is the kingdom that we've signed up for, surrender. And I'm beginning to understand that I can, I can chase my little dreams and have my little plans and do my little thing and pursue all the things that I want or I can surrender to his way, trust in the zigzag that he has a plan, that he's gonna bring me everything I need even when it isn't what I want because ultimately he is up to something with my one and only life, even if I cannot see it. And my invitation to you this day is would you surrender to that? Trust, look back. He's had you even if you failed to see it. He saved you even if you failed to see it. And I'm more convinced than ever that the life that Jesus has for you definitely is on the other side of surrender. So will you stand with me? We're going to sing this song before we leave in an effort to begin to posture our heart that way. Posture it towards surrender. Let's sing. You've been listening to Eric Parks with the message, Everything We Need. Thanks for listening.